Hello and welcome to The Spot with me, Afro7, your favourite pop culture critic. Today I've got with me a special guest, a very special guest actually, um, somebody who I've had the pleasure of talking to before. Um, he and I debated pre-elections and I think he's going to be way happier than me right now because some of the predictions he warned me about then, warned in quotes, warned me about then have since come to pass and um, he's here to basically go through his point of view regarding the last podcast I made with Faye Fawemi. And if you haven't had the pleasure of listening to that, please browse through my tracks on SoundCloud and avail yourself of that very exciting episode. So welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you, Tala. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And how's your day been thus far? Been very good. Uh, into church, as you do on a Sunday, and had Sunday lunch. But I've been good. It's been good so far. Excellent. So you're good and raring to go. Yes. Um, so, Michael, tell me what it was that you heard on the show with uh, Faye that made you want to uh, get your bit in, so to speak. Well, so I, I listened to the conversation, and I, I think that a certain perspective did not come to the fore, which is, I know there was an admission on during the conversation that you guys may have gotten Buhari wrong, but I don't think there was a full realization of why that happened. Mm. And that's one of the things I want to address okay. if, if I have time. That's one of the, that's one of the things I like to address okay. the issue of why we got Buhari wrong. Okay. Wonderful. But you don't think you got him wrong. Do you think you had him right all along? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, we can surely get into that. And perhaps we can also get into what led us to having such choices before us when we had them. So that would be the choice of GJ and the choice of Muhammad Buhari. We can also examine that really quickly. And then we can talk into we can talk about what you hope for Nigeria in the future and we and how we can go about making that Nigeria. Um so let's yes. just let's just get right into it. So tell me, what was it pre-elections that you thought those of us on the APC side failed to grasp that you did? Well, say if, if we we start from the uh, beginning, we first of all have to acknowledge one thing, which is many of us in the what Nigeria would call the youth category, mm. many of us generally want a better Nigeria. So it wasn't really a case of one side was supporting corruption and the other side wasn't. Because if the truth be told, if we take political correctness out of the conversations, the truth is, if you did a sample investigation, you'd find that the vast majority of the popular names we mention when we talk about politicians in Nigeria, the vast majority have one or two corruption issues surrounding them. Just pick any politician at random, the way he hands out money to his supporters, or the way he funds a variety of ventures. It's mm. obvious that there's clearly no legitimate source of his funding or his or her funding. Mm. So the, the first thing is we have to start, start having honest conversations with each other when we start talking about corruption and acting as if it has come from one side only or it's something that is, that is novel. Mm. So that's, that's the first thing we need to address. But moving on to the real issue, I think there was a miscalculation because, yes, the, the, the summary of 
the youth support for Buhari was this. He has changed and the ACN alliance has gotten Buhari to sign up to this new manifesto. He's promised A, B and C and based on his assurances, we are backing him. Now, the first thing I think we need to remember is even the APC manifesto itself, or Buhari's manifesto itself, was extremely left-wing and socialist. So even if Buhari had decided to implement that manifesto, many of the capitalists within uh, his support group would still be complaining now because there were many things in that manifesto that they were not happy with in the first place, which begs the question of why they then decided to back him. But on to the bigger issue is, the thing they missed in the whole calculation is, the Nigerian presidential system makes the president very powerful. And if you've looked at the history of presidencies in Nigeria, there's always been a falling out between the president and his supporters, because they always say he promised us one thing, but he's gotten into office and he's done his own thing. And that's the reality of the Nigerian presidential system. Buhari is doing the same to his own people. Good luck did the same to Obasanjo. Yaradua did the same to Obasanjo. If you keep going back in history, the same things have happened over and over again. So once you acknowledge that there is no one who can really control the president, the question you should be asking yourself is, do we have faith that when this man is given powers to do as he pleases, he will act in a manner that is consistent with what we believe? Now, if you looked at Buhari's impromptu interviews, and if you looked at all the statements he had made before the election, you could see that this whole idea of Buhari being some sort of, as ABC people called him, the modern-day Deng Xiaoping of China. I don't know who called him that. I think it was more uh, it was more uh, Jonathan's people drawing silly comparisons between him and, and Southeast Asian leaders. I'm certain yeah. nobody called Buhari any... No, actually, I recall reading a blog post written by your prominent uh, APC supporters where they likened what he was going to do to what Deng Xiaoping was going to do. Even Patutomi took a step further and likened Buhari to Reagan, Ronald Reagan of America. Mm. And I looked at these analogies and I was thinking to myself, when you heard those people speak, mm. you could tell that, okay, they had a vision of a sort of market-type economy that they were planning to run. Mm. You'd never hear Buhari speak in that manner. In fact, all the few times he spoke, he talked about nationalization. Talked well, about actually, no, that's not true. I mean, there was a there was an event in Lagos where he spoke to business leaders, and he made it quite clear that his government was going to be business friendly. His government was going to be less willing to do some of the wasteful things that other governments had done in the past. So it's not a matter of uh, people just blindly supporting him. The fellow also said the right things. Like I said in my podcast to Faye, he made all the right noises at certain um, intervals. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not... Okay, I know that the argument goes that people just... Buhari was a canvas and people painted their hopes and dreams for Nigeria on him. Perhaps people have a point when they say that. But larger than that, there were many instances and occasions that Buhari himself said these things and fed these hopes and, and aspirations. Do you know well, what I mean? What, what, I, what I, I would agree with you that there was an element of Buhari lying to his supporters. Now, but the difference is it is one thing for Buhari to read from a prepared speech. Many of the, the few promises he made, like, for example, when he went to Chatham House and talked about human rights and democracy, but that was a prepared speech. So you could say that, obviously, Buhari would make the right noises. 
But when you're choosing a presidential candidate in Nigeria, that's what I said from the outset. You don't you go beyond what he's promised. You have to go research the, the individual themselves, understand what they think, how they think. Not just it's a bit like uh, forgive me for bringing him, in, him into the picture. It's a bit like Dino Milai telling you he's running for president and he's going to do A, B, and C. And we all start backing Dino because Dino has read speeches promising A, B, and C. We would say no, this is ridiculous. I, think, I mean, uh, that, that comparison is a bit unfair because, I mean, no, it, Buhari, it, 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 at least, Buhari at least has won the reputation of having integrity, at least where corruption no. is concerned. Dino Malai enjoys no such <laughs> reputation, so I don't but think... The, the question is, the, the Buhari we know, or the Buhari of history, was of a certain... Uh, disposition. Mm-hmm. He was interviewed on BBC mm-hmm. even during the last campaign, and they asked him, "Is what, what did he think of the execution of Kenneth Owo and uh, Bernard Ogedengbe?" Well, the uh, armed robbers. No, these were uh, drug people. Oh yes, arrested. yes, 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 yes. And he said yes. that was the law at the time. No, no, no. He got, went beyond that. They even asked if he showed any sort of remorse. And you could see from his response that the man, quite frankly, did not care. As far as well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm so sorry. And I really want you to finish, but I have to just ask you this. You mean of all the things there is to be remorseful about? The fact that drug barons were executed per the laws of the land is one of those? I'm sorry, I personally don't care either. But, but this, this is my point about uh, not speaking about you specifically about people misunderstanding Buhari's history. The issue was not executing people. The issue was at the time when they were arrested, the drug drug dealing did not carry the death penalty. Well, it was, a, 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 it was a, a applied retroactively, so... Yes, which which is against if, if you're anyone who has studied law. Michael, 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 let's, let's move on to like more well, impactful okay, things. Let me just quickly mm-hmm. finish this point. So... That is a serious issue where... Even not, that, for, honest, not for most people, no. For most people, they well, don't care. But, but that, is, that, that is my point. People said they didn't care that Buhari did a thing like that. Now, speaking for myself, even, I, as, even, I was, even if I was president and there was a law at the time that says people should be sentenced to death for murder, even if I imposed that sentence, the truth be told is I would still feel bad about it because Why? someone's life is not something you oh, do like. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. I, 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 think, I think you've gone off the rails with this point a little bit. Just okay, a little bit. Because if you, if you stretch it to understand that drugs take life, why should he feel guilty for stemming that tide and saving the lives of so many Nigerians in the process? Because what he did was not in, the, in accordance with the tenets oh. of the rule of law. Okay. You don't arrest people, and then after arresting them, apply a law that was not in place when they committed the offense. It's actually, well, that's why Wale Shoinka called it judicial murder. Okay, so, so you're saying the people who supported him failed to understand that he had this in him, this tendency in him, yes? Yes. Okay. So these were the sorts of traits that anyone who had stepped aside and said, look, let us seriously study these man's traits, that many of the things he's doing now would not surprise you. So it was one thing for Buhari to promise you, for example, that, oh, the, the, he will allow the markets uh, do their thing. But when he was interviewed off script, i.e. when he was allowed to speak as opposed to reading a press speech, he talked about Naira equaling the dollar, dollar 
how he was going to uh, bring back the national shipping line and bring back uh, Nigerian Airways. So you could tell from the way he was speaking that this was someone whose disposition was for a more command and control economy as opposed to a free market economy. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, no matter what people's, how people felt about Jonathan and all that, if we're being honest with ourselves, we could have, it was obvious that, look, we'll, even if you back this dude, he's not coming into office to deliver some sort of free market utopia. He's coming to take you back to his idea of a socialist nirvana. That's what he was coming to do. And I think if, if we step back and we're honest, we would have seen this uh, coming. Hmm. Well, look, I think I think you're being quite unfair. You're being unfair in the sense that the choices before us were good luck, Jonathan, who a majority of Nigerians were frankly fed up with. And they probably, probably, chances are, would have voted almost anybody over him. And we had Buhari, who had some troubling things in his past and perhaps also took some troubling positions. But what you have to understand, like I was saying to Faye, is that he didn't say these things, or he didn't not say anything, and we just queued up behind him. The coalition that he assembled, you know, of Southwest uh, Federalist and yeah. Northwest, I don't know, status quoist or whatever have you, was supposed to provide checks and balances. And that way we would ensure that the fellow's worst extremes were in check. Do you know what I mean? But so it's so transpired, and I don't think anybody could have predicted this, that a Daura clique would be running the country and the people who partnered him in the coalition would be basically on the outside. So well, the checks well, and balances we thought the coalition could provide has now been nullified. So I don't think anybody could, could have foreseen that. I certainly couldn't have. And it's not a matter of us blindly supporting Buhari because if you check it, once he won, there was a transition committee put in place and the transition committee's job was to really look at the situation Nigeria was in and draw up a plan, a plan that he was then to apply. And he was fully on board with the idea of transition committee. They did their work painfully, painstakingly, and submitted the report to the president, who then left the report, or as, as, as it appears, left the report on the shelf until today. So it's not, when you keep saying, oh, people were duped, or people were stupid, or people didn't think, or this and that, and I, and I don't mean you personally, because you tend to be a gentleman, so you don't say these things. Oh, thank you. But, you. but you forget is that it behooves us to actually review the times, or the incident and the event that led us to be so fed up of our so-called gentleman pres president and to choose a reformed dictator in President Buhari. You need to ask yourself, and you need to, uh, what, and then when I say us, now I mean young people, you know, what led us to be so, because Buhari won a majority of young people. So you have to ask yourself why that is. But the, I, I, make, I make two comments about your uh, statements. The first is, I'm not really, quite frankly, I'm not really bothered anymore as to people's choices. If people prefer to support Buhari as opposed to Jonathan, I think it's fine, it's their choice. The main issue for me is, you cannot elect a socialist into office and then be surprised that he's acting like a socialist. So for me, it's not the choice that they made. It's the fact that they made a choice and are now acting surprised that he's behaving the way 
he's behaving. And which takes me on to the second point, which is, the, the, the thing is, even foreign analysts looked at the coalition of interests behind Buhari, and even they could see that this was a mess. Like you've rightly said, you had his northern core support group who believe in northern domination of the country and who are very pro-state control. You have the ACN group in the southwest who believe in devolution of power and who are more leaning towards a free market philosophy. So it was obvious that when two groups who have diverging political and economic beliefs coming together into one party, it was always bound to be a mess. So what you guys seem to be saying is, oh, we came together and we thought to be able to keep him in, a check, in check is the equivalent of having, in terms of British politics, having Jeremy Corbyn and Michael Gove in the same party and acting surprised that the Corbyn Gove alliance has failed when they've entered into government. Of course, we're about to fail. I mean, I mean, I mean. Look, it's not just—it's not just about putting Buhari. Sorry to interrupt you. It's not just about putting Buhari in check. Buhari was also supposed to check the others' excesses and 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 you know and extreme positions. But so here's the thing: I think you might be missing, and that is that if Buhari, these people that formed an alliance of Buhari to challenge Jonathan and the PDP, previously weren't on board with him and his ideas. Okay, at least up until 2011. Yes. They, they, they weren't really feeling Buhari. So if he's presented himself in a particular way to these people, more malleable, more willing to listen, more I mean, easier to work with, you know, more willing to change his positions and to adapt and to learn from others, he's presented himself like this because the fellow didn't choose his VP. He was willing to accept the guy nominated for him. He was willing to campaign. You know, these are the small signs that gave people hope that let them that let led them to believe that okay this fellow really has changed we can really work with this guy you know he's not the Buhari of old you know he's well, really shifted in his in his dogma because he's a very dogmatic and stubborn fellow so he's really shifted in that you know he's become a new fellow so to speak well so, I, I think your your comment has actually brought me onto the next issue I was going to uh, comment on which is the whole idea of sometimes we have a misconception of what Nigeria is. Like you've rightly pointed out, a group of people had always been anti-Buhari. And all of a sudden, in 2014, they began to coalesce around this figure. The likes of El Rufai, even Bolatinubu, Dele Momodu, many of them had made highly disrespectful and critical comments of, of Buhari Bolatinibu mm -hmm. called him an agent of uh, destabilization. Mm -hmm. I called him parochial. Mm -hmm. So many of these people held these opinions about Buhari. The question is, what suddenly made them change direction? Which is what, why I'm saying we, we need to understand what Nigeria is. Mm -hmm. It all boils down to the death of Umari Ardua. Mm -hmm. There was a political agreement that the North would hold power for his or South would hold power for eight years, and then the North would hold power for eight years. Mm -hmm. Umar Yardwa died. That wasn't foreseeable. Some would say it was foreseeable. He died. The agreement was breached. Obviously, the eight-year term didn't happen. A few people felt, in PDP, felt that power should return to the North. When they saw that Goodluck Jonathan was going to run for a second term, those people 
decided to switch sides and back Buhari because the political decision was power must return to the north. Mm -hmm. So when you see it from that perspective that the aim was power must return to the north, mm -hmm. then it makes sense that a group of even northern politicians who wanted nothing to do with Buhari mm -hmm. now decided to line up behind him. Mm -hmm. So that's all it was. The same thing happened in 1983 because you're saying, well, he made a few noises and gave them the impression that he was willing. When Buhari was brought in as head of state in, on the eve, uh, New Year's Eve 1983 going into 1984, the same thing happened. You don't think, uh, does anyone really believe that Buhari made his true views known and IBB and the others decided that, okay, let's crown you head of state? No. You obviously play along and then when you get power, you reveal your true colors. And that is why history is important, because what we use or you, your response seems to be saying is Buhari told them he had changed and he made noises like he had. So they no, had to no, 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 no. I mean, come on, we're not talking about kindergartners here. You know, I mean, I think the reason that they couldn't, they couldn't, the coalition couldn't pop in 2011 or 2010, whenever that was, was that certain people were unwilling to shift. They were unwilling to shift ground. Do you understand? And if these same people could now come around years later and form the coalition that couldn't work earlier, something must have shifted, right? And it's and at the wait, listen, listen. At the head, at the head, at the head. You're saying the thing that shifted is that the North wanting back power. But why wouldn't the North have wanted power back in 2011? I mean, were they not Northern in 2011? Because the agreement then was, let's give the South South one term in office. And then after that, there was a sort of, some would say written agreement, some would say gentleman's agreement that, okay, the South South will do one power and one term in power and then give it back. So the likes of Kwan Kwaso and Co were willing to wait. Because many I understand, of but, you know, wait, but you know, it didn't have to be Buhari, right? It didn't well, have to be is, him. It didn't have to be Buhari, but what they did, they made a cynical calculation and they realized that despite what they thought of him, he was one person in the north who they knew has a cult following. So he could rally support around him, and they cynically thought they could exploit that to unite with a faction in the south and take power. So I'd say it was cynical, but also highly naive because they failed to understand... Highly naive of, of whom? If that was their goal, they surely achieved it, no? Well, the, the truth is, if you've, if you've read recent interviews by prominent uh, northern politicians many of them are already grumbling that had they known they would have actually gone ahead and backed good luck for a second term because even they are crying Kwakwa Kwa so is not happy uh, from what I gather even Bolatinibu down south is not happy Atiko is not happy many of them are not happy because this is not even Junaid Mohammed the uh, northern lightning rod whose job it is to make noise on newspaper promoting pro-north ideas himself is not happy because, like 1984, the Buhari has come into power and once again he's been caged by Mamandara and other family members. So they've all been pushed out. This is exactly what happened before. So we're not happy. Okay. All right. So we've examined the Buhari that you thought the uh, APC, young APC supporters didn't know or didn't care to know. We've examined that. But now I have a question for you. Yes. And, and what frustrates me in our exchanges thus far, because it's very frustrating, but I'm going to ask anyway. Let me, let me keep what frustrates me aside. Let me just ask you, 
forget about it on a political level yeah. as an at the very top on, on the political on the political elite level forget about it there let's talk about us as regular human beings now we hoi yeah. poloi we everyday people what do you think made everyday people so tired of good luck jonathan the one the first ever real nigerian president a man in whom most nigerians could see themselves from a poor background, pulled himself up by his bootstraps, so to speak, went to school, and if you believe what he says, got a PhD, you know, etc., etc. What made so many Nigerians turn away from a fellow who was just like them and get so fed up of his government that they were willing to entertain Buhari? Well, that, that's a very interesting question, because if you study the election results, one of the things that... I was speaking to uh, someone who I was speaking to a political scientist uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the things that he said was interesting about the political results was, or the election results was, how close they were. Good luck only lost by I think by between two to three million votes, and he was actually saying that that was a shockingly close election, and in certain quarters the powers that be are actually very worried by that close result. And but, but the you know, direct response to your question, we must remember how Nigeria operates, what Nigeria is. There was a coalition of voters that decided to back Buhari. Once Kano and Kwankwaso and Lagos and the Southwest with uh, Asiwaju, uh, in quotations, Tinubu, decided that they were going to go into an alliance with uh, Buhari, it was always going to be difficult for Goodluck to win. So the idea that it was about what Goodluck did or didn't do, the truth of the matter is, once Buhari stands up and says in the north that we are going to back, we are, we are going to support APC, that was more or less a given. Okay, all right. So, for, so a follow, follow up, sorry, excuse me, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt again. Follow up. So, in your estimation, Goodluck was a perfect president. There was nothing he did wrong. It was just a matter of the fact that Buhari stood up against him, and that was the problem. And the Southwest no. Coalition, that was the problem. No, Goodluck was not a perfect president. The truth is, I've always had my own template of what I would support in a political leader. I'm a free market capitalist. I believe in democracy. I support human rights, and I want a federal Nigeria. On all those fronts, Goodluck Jonathan was moving in the right direction. If you looked at the latest World Bank report, I think it was in 2014, whilst he was in power, you see the economy was growing. You can see that... Oil was, was also over $100 per barrel. No, but if you, if you look at... That's why I said if you look at the report, you would see that the GDP growth was not... The GDP growth was actually in other sectors, not the oil sector. So but trade, every, everything comes from oil, sir. Not, so not, if, not, if, not, if, our, if our entertainment... The business was growing, it was all money fueled. You know? No, 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 not correct. What, what, okay. what the difference is our tax revenues or government's tax revenues mm -hmm. are dominated by oil, mm -hmm. but the economy itself is not. The Nigerian okay. economy under Gulag Jonathan was highly diversified. That was one of the illuminating things about reading that report because I too used to believe the fallacy that oil dominates everything about Nigeria. Mm -hmm. But reading that report was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. The economy is highly diversified. The real issue is the government has not diversified the way it collects taxes. All they do is kidnap 
in pardon the language, but kidnap oil companies and make them give tax. But the truth is, if they actually spread the tax collection uh, net, you would find that. That's what the Bahari government is trying to do, sir. No, but actually, uh, they, they may be, they say they're trying, but these were efforts that actually began under the previous government. I don't yes, know if you course. know, but Konji Wala uh, worked with, I think it was McKinsey, and they already began to put in, in place oh, processes. excellent. So they can, yeah, excellent. So they can they can reach their conclusion under this government as it's supposed to be. Excellent, you know? Well, yes, I'll be happy <laughs> if they do that. So so my, my view is I don't think Lord Jonathan was a perfect president. Uh, that's far from that. So, so there is nothing. Things. No, I'm asking you now because I think you still keep bringing it back to this idea that some people made up their minds and, and, and the Nigerian electorate are you know, a bunch of sheep, so they followed those people. No, I'm asking. Imagine you're a regular Nigerian. What about good luck do you think got you so fed up that you voted for the APC? And I'm talking people in Adamawa, uh, people in Plateau, people in, uh, uh, um, uh, what's this other state, Yobe, etc. States that aren't core to the core north, you know, Zamfara, etc. Those states. Well, well, well that's what I'm saying. If the, the way Nigeria works is, is different from the way the Western world democracies work. So in, in Nigeria... The in certain regions, once the the southwest or once the Oga says we are voting left, everybody votes left. Oh it's goodness. not a case of uh, they don't sit down and debate economic policy and all that. It's a case of if if this person says I'm delivering this state, that's the way the state goes. But yes, there were various there, there was there was the, the terrorism issues with Boko Haram sort of kicked off. They didn't start on that good luck, Jonathan. They'd been simmering for years, but they finally, the chickens finally came home to roost on that hymn. So I can understand why someone in Chibok, for example, or in the in the Northeast, will think this man needs to go. We need to bring in somebody who, who, who can fix the problem, because the idea was Buhari was some sort of a, a commando-type figure who was coming in to fix, who could fix these problems. I think that was a simplistic approach to analyzing the issue, but I can understand why people might have thought of that. But overall, I think, and I think the factors bear evidence to what I'm saying, but I think overall, Jonathan lost because there was an alliance between the North and the Southwest and a variety of the, the what, what I call the 1966 gang. There was an agreement that power had to go back to the North, and ultimately, but it was also that was also the reason Jonathan was president. I mean, look, it's it's not. I didn't think, at least since democracy, in quotes, I didn't think Nigerians have really had had a choice whereby the primaries are fair and the candidate emerges fairly, etc. I mean, some twelve men in a room decide who the candidates are going to be, and well, at least they did until this last elections, where the APC was concerned on the national stage. Good luck, Jonathan wasn't anybody's candidate for anything. He was plucked and picked, just the same way Obasanjo was plucked and picked, and the same way Omari Yajo was plucked and picked. This yeah. is the, this is the system we find ourselves in. And no, I think even even Buhari for APC, was same thing. Was and plucked picked. and picked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the I suppose for those of us of us capital US, I mean all of us who are interested in a better Nigeria, we should be pushing and advocating for more democracy, more I, openness, I agree with you. I agree so, with you. so that we can get to the stage where 
like America, where everybody actively participates in the selection of our leaders. So that is something I, I sign up for. But I'm just saying, if you're going to ask why XYZ lost, why XYZ won, then we have to accept the reality of what Nigeria is, which is ethnic power blocks are still very influential and still very valid, and those play a key role in selecting presidents. Mm. Mm. Well, look, I mean, I, th I don't think I'm going to get any dice with trying to get you to admit that Goodluck Jonathan was a terribly inept president, um, I think. But, I mean, here we are, you know, the elections are over, we've, we've made our choices, and I will live with mine. Given the same circumstances again, I will make, yes. the, same, I will make the same choice. I just have to reiterate that because I know you all yes. love hearing it so much. Yes. Given the same circumstances, I will make the same choice because I think Nigeria was definitely on the precipice. But that's not to say that I think Buhari has been successful in, in at least uniting the country, if nothing else. I think probably the divisions have worsened. You know, the fissures are much loud, uh, uh, wider now than they were before. Um, yes. But certainly all these things were set in motion, especially by Goodluck Jonathan, uh, by the end of 2014, early 2015. But hey, he's not to blame. You know, ethnocentrism didn't start with Goodluck Jonathan, but they were definitely disgustingly exploited for, for, uh, well, by the I, people. I would disagree with that. Of course you will. Of course you will. Oh, yes. Yeah, so um, the OPC were on the streets of the southwest, uh, beating people up, macing people, etc., because they were bored and who, who who gave them funds right it was it was good like jonathan who was uh funding yeah, fund, 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 funding funding people like 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 uh what's that opc leader's uh name again it, it's totally escaped me you know yes not fashion yes. on the other one the the one who <laughs> definitely said in london that if they had not postponed the election good luck jonathan would have lost so they did what but, they needed but, to but, do but this, but this is the this is the Propaganda that it's not propaganda. These are facts. These well, are facts. Let me make the point. But you see, this is why. This is how Buhari has gotten into the mess he's gotten into. Because, like I've said before, we need to understand what Nigeria is. Now, the the first thing is regard to those pictures of APC, OPC, allegedly macing people that were being circulated during the campaigns. It turned out those They're photos fake. were fake. No yes, such of thing. Course. No of such course you would exist. say that. <laughs> of course you would say that. So good luck, Jonathan didn't come to Lagos and, and share money for uh, amongst OPC leadership and all that. That's all fake, well, right? Okay. You people right. segregated pictures and said this was <laughs> you people. Oh, Michael, you're amazing. You're amazing. Let me finish you're my amazing. point because I'm saying we should discuss what Nigeria is. Now, this whole thing with OPC. Uh, Tompolo and all that. We, we need to address this point. And the issue is this. Nigeria is more or less running a colonial state. Hmm. Now, the way colonial state works is you're extracting resources from various parts of the country whilst trying to oppress them. Mm -hmm. The way, the only way to, for a colonial state to function is you have to bribe warlords so that these things can happen. Now, if Nigeria doesn't want to give Full resource control and property rights to the people of the Niger Delta region. The only other way it can make sure it extracts the resources without drama is if you bribe warlords in those areas. And what we are doing, fashion, another amnesty agreement, wasn't realize that look, if we're not going to change the system, we at least have to make it work. So let's pay these militants, OPC and others, or, or others, 
let them guard the pipelines. At least, if we're making $10 billion a year in oil, is it that much to ask to, okay, let's bribe these militants with $100 million just so that oil flows? Because if you don't pay them, then there's going to be chaos, unless you want to give full ownership rights to the communities. Nigeria doesn't want to do that. And as long as you don't want to do that... Yes, of course. So, so this is, I mean... I don't disagree with you on that, but I think yeah. it's just almost fantastically coincidental that it was at the time of the elections that these oil pipeline uh, contracts were handed out. Uh, is it Fashion or Fashakin or whatever is this fellow no, no, called? It, it, uh, fashion was the, is the there's, a, there's another dude, his name also escapes me. Uh, uh, <sighs> I can see I, his I face. Know the dude you're talking yes, about. the one who recently got in trouble for receiving corrupt funds or whatever have you. That well, but, fellow. But, but that, that's the, that takes me on to the second issue, which is. That is how politics works in Nigeria. Yes, of course. It, it, so, it, 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 so it, essentially, yeah. good luck, Jonathan did nothing wrong but to follow the Nigerian template. Hence, he's blameless and everything else rests no, on Buhari. No, you're, you're missing my point. I'm not agreeing with... Let me, let me give you an example. Every governor, even the president, has a security advisor. Mm-hmm. They have a budget called the security vote. Is it, I, is I'm, a, security I'm aware, I'm aware. What do they use that budget for? You they, just said a secret. Yes, because of the way Nigeria is structured. It's not a freely democratic society. So to keep the peace, you have to pay people that you don't want to pay. So as governor of Lagos State, with your security vote, you know you have to give money to uh, area boys. You have to give money to some churches, give money to some mosques, give money to some, some women's groups. It's not something you want to do. But you fully understand that because of the way this state is, it's artificial, it is unfair, it is unjust. The only way to keep the peace is you have to bribe people to keep quiet. Okay, all right. So, listen, I understand that point. Now, let's not yeah. let's, let's not belabor the past too much, too much. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's tempting to just run down this rabbit hole of debating who did what and what did who. I mean, yeah. I, I, I have time for that normally, but just not today. Um, so... Going forward now, after listening to the Mia Culpa episode and listening to or reading a lot of the erstwhile APC or uh, Buhari supporters, recant or in some ways uh, doubt their full-throated support for the fellow, what what do you reckon is the way forward now? Because, I mean, I will use myself as an example. I'm not so certain that Buhari's style of government is what Nigeria needs. Um, I think he doesn't see... I think he just thinks that he doesn't want to con- condescend to Nigerians in addressing some of the issues at hand. I don't, I can't think of any modern democracy whereby it's announced that it's a recession and the president doesn't even address the nation on the on the matters. I don't, I c- cannot think of another country, at least ones that aspires to be a proper country in quotes, where yeah. where uh, uh, 387 or some citizens are murdered in cold blood if evidence is to be to be believed. And the president doesn't address the nation on it. So there are certain things that he does, and they leave me overwhelmed and flabbergasted almost because it's like, yo, if nothing else, even if the policies are too difficult, people relations shouldn't be that difficult. If you can't do it, there should be people around you that know how these things are done, and they should advise you accordingly. Currently, I'm actually nursing. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm nursing a wound of just looking at this, looking at all the effort that I put in, and Lord knows I did and seeing how it's panning out. And I don't care if if he were doing the right things and it was just hard. 
Do you know what I mean? I think I would feel, I would, you know, you'd feel the pain because we all have family back home. But you'd feel like, okay, so this fellow's trying really hard, but things are hard. But right now I feel like he's just content to, to advise or to be advised by people who keep telling him that the reason the country is hard is that Nigerians don't want to change their ways. Do you see what yeah. I mean? And I think he fully believes that, and that is so troublesome. But anyway, so enough of my ranting about that. Here we are. What do you propose we do now? So young people are very frustrated, and a lot of us feel like our efforts were wasted. Now, if we agree, because I've said this to you before, maybe once or twice, you and I don't have an ideological difference vis-a-vis -vis Nigeria's future. So federalism, resource control, etc., we're on the same page with that. Our differences center around personalities. And these two personalities, well, one has exited the stage largely, and the other one is still the president. But I'm not entirely happy with the fellow either. So there we go, another another ground on which we can agree. So now, given all that, why, where are we going? Okay, so because the PDP as an opposition party has proven to be quite inept. Um, yeah, and we don't have any other real choices right now. And I wouldn't join the PDP. Are you a member of the PDP? Well, not, not quite. Okay. Not quite. I'm not a member of the APC either. So, um, yeah, where do we go from here? In your opinion, what, what are the next steps young people need to take in ensuring that we don't find ourselves in the same situation again come 2018? Well, I'd say the first thing is going forward, there has to be what I call unity. Mm. And... Because as far as I'm concerned, before you start talking about economics or political ideologies or whatever, there has to be unity in the country, which is the first mistake that Buhari made, the failure to unite. I agree. And what I mean by unity amongst the youth, well, I'll give an example, is take Trump, for example. Some might say Trump is a good businessman, he's this, he's that. But Trump has insulted Latin Americans or Mexicans and disrespected black people. Now, if a white person, for example, came up to me and said, look, Trump is a capitalist and he supports democracy, so let's back him. I'll say no. Trump has insulted my people and has insulted the Mexicans. So before we can even talk about let us back this candidate, Trump is out of the conversation because it doesn't respect my people. If somebody doesn't respect your people, there is no basis in which you can stand behind that person and say, that's the person I'm going to devote my energies to. Mm. And I'm making this point for, for a key reason. So the first thing we need is unity. And right from the time APC won, a lot of the youth, I'd say on the, a lot of the young people on the PDP side, a lot of the PDP supporters, I'm happy about a few things that happened. Many prominent APC people, including so-called, not so-called, people who are supposed to be university professors, mm. coming out to openly insult Igbo people for, oh for, for backing APC. Or you have prominent politicians making dispar disparaging remarks about Nigerians or Christians or Igbos. And a lot of them felt that before we even talk about economics, it's highly insulting that you are attacking people's heritage like this. 
and then you are now saying to them, oh, let us unite and move um, I think, do you know, the thing is, the thing is, when you start with this, I'm always tempted to do the same. And I don't want to do the same because, I mean, these things are... Evidence for both, evidence for these kinds of things are available on both sides. So I don't, I don't really want us to go down this alley. Please, we've but, done that. But, but, no, wait, let's I'm not, let's not, re, let's not rehash the elections and everything that led up to it. Now I'm saying everything you're going to say has to concern post 2015. Please, because okay, this what I'm saying is, if you are moving forward, then there have to be minimum terms and conditions of the way people engage and people work on a political level. So everybody's fighting for a better Nigeria. They want true federalism. They want uh, capitalism. They want human rights. They want rule of law. So going forward, I say the first thing is we should have minimum terms and conditions in the way we engage with the politicians. And I know before the elections, one of the groups they insulted were people they called, in quotations, fencists. They mocked, they mocked them for being fencists. Well, the truth is, that's actually an honorable role to take. And what it means is sometimes you say to yourself, look, I have certain values and principles, and there is no candidate at the moment who meets those principles. So rather than compromising and forcing myself to sign up to something that I clearly know is not it, i.e., for example, I hate Good Lord Jonathan, but I don't necessarily like Buhari, but because I hate Good, Good Jonathan, I'll jump on the Buhari bandwagon. It's more honourable to say, look, I hate GJ. That's fine. So I'll sit on the fence. That's what the uh, yeah, people do. I mean, the fences thing. And if if it went down the way you're saying it, I think it'd be dope. But the thing is, most people. I think one guy is an exception that I that I can say really held down his fences, uh, steez like to the max, and he wasn't just faking. Most people were for PDP or Good Luck Jonathan, but they were too afraid to say it. I, from what I observed. You know, oh, I see. So they were just too afraid to say, it. and that's what just got my goat. Like, make a decision, make a choice. I thought, I thought Nigeria was in such a precarious situation in 2014-15 that I thought we couldn't afford fencism. In all honesty, I mean, I think in hindsight now, perhaps I was wrong in that position, but that was a position that I held. I thought a choice had to be made because we were in such dire straits, right? So, yeah. Well, well, you you might say that, but it, it is what it is. So I think going forward. What we need to do is acknowledge certain truths. Nigeria structurally is not working. I was reading newspapers today. The armed forces are now engaged in over 10 states in Nigeria. Even the armed forces spokesman himself said, look, we are overstretched. Mm. And anyone who steps back away from the APC, PDP politics can see that because of the internal contradictions within the union called Nigeria, mm. the country is not working. We don't have the money, or we cannot afford the blood, sweat, and tears anymore to I keep agree. killing people just to force this union to function as it is. I completely agree with you on that one. So, um, what, so do what do you propose for us? Okay, give me three things, so we just don't leave this open-ended. Give me three things, if you could today, you would demand of any candidate or any party that's looking to step up in 2018-19. Just three things. Well, the, the first thing is the person needs to be someone who is genuinely committed to a united Nigeria. And when I mean a united Nigeria, I don't mean the idea of this uh, false federalism we have, but someone who, yes, is proud of their ethnic heritage, mm -hmm. but who is willing to see 
every other Nigerian as an equal partner in this union. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I want to see. The second thing I want to see is someone who has the sort of vision that Abraham Lincoln had when he sat down and said, look, we need to negotiate a way out of slavery. We need a leader who has the clear vision to say, look, this structure is not working. We need to remodel this country to reflect our ethnic, religious, and philosophical diversity, ideally United States model. Someone who comes into office and says, look, he's going to prepare his own bill for the restructuring of Nigeria and negotiate, lead negotiations downwards with the Senate, with the states, with the House, mm -hmm. to get a constitutional amendment bill so that Nigeria becomes a true federal country. So that's the second thing I want, a leader who can do that. And thirdly, a leader who is clearly committed to free market capitalism. Mm. Yeah, well, those are, those are really good ideals. Um, and in many ways, they're exactly what I think. However, I'm not certain that unbridled free market capitalism is can just be dropped on Nigerians just like that. Because if you think about it this way, and I'm by no means a socialist, you know, but if you think about it this way, now we've liberated, in quote, <laughs> the Naira. So Naira is doing its thing. But on the other hand, all prices are going to go crazy. And you think your minimum wage is 18,000 Nairas a month. How many people are going to be able to afford that? And how? You can't say, okay, this is a free market society. Every, 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 uh, every person to his own. You know, this Nigeria has no social safety net, and in some ways, the government interferes. And I'm certain, I, I can't prove it, but I'm almost certain that there is still some interference going on because you can't, we can't have a, a ceiling price for oil, whereas we have a free, a free floating uh, uh, currency. That doesn't make well, sense. How well, how is oil still one forty five? Because somebody is subsidizing it at some point that we don't well, know well, about. That's the point. We're we're paying a subsidy because, if I recall correctly, even when the vice president's office announced that they were going to, in quotations, deregulate the fuels, the fuel uh, sector, they said they were they were doing it at uh, the exchange rate being. I think they said about two eighty five or mm -hmm. two seventy or something. Mm -hmm. At the moment, the dollar is about almost is close to 500 or 400 and something. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious that a subsidy is being paid somewhere. But mm -hmm. this government is not very transparent, so nobody quite knows what is going on. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, even now, the currency has not been floated properly, mm -hmm. as, as you and others have rightly read. Emir mm -hmm. uh, says A, but does B. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that when you still have a list of of entities or, or goods that are not allowed to engage in, uh, to participate in the foreign exchange market, then you're still going to get market distortions. Exactly. So I think it would be inaccurate to say the currency has been floated. But like I was saying, many countries like the United States, even Britain, all have oil industries. But the real issue is their sources of revenue are diversified. Property, like property, rights, property rights are going to be... A massive deal in this country. I mean, I think uh, in this country, the country in question being Nigeria, because <laughs> I'm not yeah. there right now. I think the powers that be, and that's the elites at all level across the entire country, no exception, are reluctant to see that. Um, and I say this because the, the, the truth of the matter is, Lagos is one example. Edo State has had the same issues because I remember when 
the transition was taking place between traditional rulers ruling Nigeria mm -hmm. and then uh, political parties or governments now taking over. Mm -hmm. One of the compromises many of them reached was, okay, government takes other land, but we can reach a settlement with the Oba of Benin or the Oba of Lagos where we give you certain parcels of land. And a lot of that has happened in Lagos, as you're rightly saying. The same thing has happened in Benin. The Oba of Benin has been given certain parcels of land that belong to him. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that is necessarily the key issue. The key issue is even the lands that do not belong to them, they're still because of the Land Use Act and the way it works is mm -hmm. land is not still fully yours. You're only leasing it for the government for some people is like 100 years, for some others is 999 years or something and there's no mm -hmm. security of tenure. I could mm -hmm. be in my property today, I might, I might quarrel with the governor and then tomorrow they'll say they've revoked my CFO. Mm -hmm. In Nigeria, the CFOs, I don't even know what certificate of occupancy. So it's things like that that need to go. Yeah, it's so very and expensive it, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you need to go somewhere, you own the land, you even own the minerals in the land. So if I find oil on my streets, the oil belongs to me. Yes, but you know where we're going with that, right? Uh, if we do that, I mean, I mean, that's why the search for oil up north has been intensified. Because if we do that now, so say all the little villages in, 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 along the coast down south, where oil yes. is, and in the creeks and in the, in the bayous or whatever, of the Niger Delta, these these people who just who have been fishing all their lives and they don't want any trouble, all of a sudden they become millionaires overnight. That's the South. The South is rich. It keeps doing its thing from natural minerals and all that. And up north, a situation whereby debilitating debilitating poverty is the is the order of the day. You know, so this idea of quote unquote fairness is is going to keep being used as an excuse as to why this cannot come into being. You know, if you well, listen to Sanusi's speech recently, I think he, not just Sanusi, some other northern elders have come out and said, uh, the the current formation of, of the state is not the problem. That is to say, Nigeria's um, situation does not need renegotiation. So this fake federalism we have by them is just fine. The problem well, is well, corruption. Well, but that's my problem with my point about even the likes of Emir Sanusi, who, no disrespect to him, has always acted in his own interest and clearly has no regard for uh, the real unity of Nigeria. And I, I don't know if you saw that speech where he even tried to play the South-South against the Southwest by implying that somehow Nigeria doesn't need the South-South, Nigeria needs Lagos, trying to create... No, he didn't say that. I mean, it, there was a context. I think it's important, because I listened to the entire speech, actually. I think it's important to say what... No, to, to I, see I what, no, it's, no, you have to listen to it. Don't read it. Listen to it. No, I, think, I, 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 I read... I don't know how, what it would make a difference by reading... No, it, 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 will, it will make a difference, because the yes. transcribing was quite poor. Wait, anyway, no, what he was, no, wait, what he was trying to say is the South-South represents oil, Lagos represents industry. And he also flipped that again to the north, saying the north does not need all the pyramids and whatever of groundnuts. The, the north needs production. Well, well, that is my point. It is a meaningless statement. Because in the United States, or even in England, or in the United Kingdom, Scotland does oil. London in the city does finance. Mm -hmm. So does anybody sit and say, the city model is better than the, Scotland, the Aberdeen model. No. What you need in a country is diverse models. Yes, of so, course. So it's it doesn't matter if in Edo what they are doing is mining oil. That's fine. As long as in Lagos they are doing their finance, all of them complement each yes, other. Yes, yes, yes. Also, yes. I agree. So, 
So the, the, the issue is, that's why I said we need a visionary president who can clearly see that the North itself has a lot of advantages. It has mm -hmm. land, mm -hmm. it has agricultural land, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's tourist opportunities. Oh, yeah. So if we had a visionary president, he'd look at Northern Nigeria and say, look, you are not backward in any way. I mean, how much can one president do by himself, to be honest? I mean, as much as Buhari annoys me, you've got you've got uh, state governors. What's stopping them from, from having these ideas? What's stopping them from coming together and saying... Yeah. I mean, and the same goes for the South, because the South isn't perfect. What's stopping our governors coming together and saying, look, we have a problem, and these are the ways in which we can address these problems. Okay, then, because I, I still think this conversation needs to be had, then we roll out the need to have a, 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 a what what's this thing called a national conference or whatever have you but we need to at least identify in each of our zones states yeah. whatever the the issues that we have problems with read the way nigeria is i, right I now. agree that a president cannot do it all alone in fact this was something i always made clear even on the good luck where people thought he could do it alone the president cannot but what a president can do someone who's a visionary or Abraham Lincoln type is, he can lead the conversations. Because like negotiators do, there are some states the president is not going to is not is not going to use niceties to persuade them to do X, Y, and Z. He might even threaten the, the governor with EFCC and say, look, if you don't get this legislation passed for resource control, you will go to jail because the EFCC will be on your backside. So those are the types of things that Lincoln had to do to force through the necessary changes. Oh, so imagine Buhari doing this to the people like you that start screaming that he's a dictator. No. <laughs> oh, oh, the, the point is, that's what the EFCC... The, the EM, what, no, obviously, mm. in, in politics, sometimes you have to... Oh, so you realise this, huh? Pardon? So you do realise this? No, I've never... My, my issue with Buhari is hypocrisy. Mm. It was not the fact that... We all know that the president controls the EFCC. My issue with Buhari is... You're sitting down here telling us that EFCC is only going after PDP politicians because it was God that provided ABC's money. What kind of no, 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 no? I think you people keep keep propagating this idea, and it's terrible. Under investigation, specifically with instruction from the president, are the defense funds that went into funding the APC. So essentially, I mean the PDP rather, the defense funds. That's but, what's been investigated. And it just so happens that it's these funds that funded the PDP. So what do you no. want him to do? Well, my point is, he's not defense funds. He says he's fighting corruption. If you're fighting corruption, then fight it. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned party funding. That's why I made that statement. I mean, yeah. I agree. I agree yeah. with you. I agree if with you. That PDP used uh, state money. The defense, the defense funds specifically. What do you mean, you, the defense think... fund specifically, yes, I think well, we have to be specific because you have asked the Nigerian people to, for uh, authorities to borrow more money. You have allocated funds upon funds upon funds to fight the war. And yet, our men and women in uniform are being killed like chicken. Nigerian citizens were killed like chicken and nothing was done. So, Generals got so, fatter and so, fatter and fatter. So, so our soldiers so got hungry and hungry about... and hungrier. Well, then the question is... He's so angry about defense funds that he's not bothered about Dambazal or... Uh, well, that remains to be seen. That's why I said to you, I agree with you. I agree exactly. with you that the way, the, way, the way the war has been executed, you can, you can want to fight corruption, but you can't half-step it. You've got to really fight it if you're fighting it. I understand exactly. there's certain members of his, of his 
cabinet that he can't touch but right now owing to political you know political what's what's the right word i'm looking for i mean that's the arrangement he finds himself in politically that's how it's got to be no, but it's, when it's you're talking about damn yes it is because how how are you going to go after look there is no innocent governor in nigeria today they are all thieves exactly. and they're all corrupted listen let me land Yes. How are you going to go after a fellow like, say, Rochus or Fashola? Not even Fashola because Fashola didn't have to sacrifice much. You know, say a fellow like Rochus or a fellow like uh, Amechi. How are you going to go after them when these people sacrifice their political future? Well, they, they sacrifice their okay. relevance in their hometowns for you. How are you well, then going to turn well, around and go after them? What does that make you? How, how politically expedient well, is that? Well, a, a, a president who is exercising wisdom would say, okay, I want to, in quotations, lie to the world that I'm fighting corruption. So I'll take one from each side. If I say I want to chase, I don't know, uh, Wiki, for example, then I need to find someone in APC who maybe stepped on my shoes last week or who SSS Toby was gossiping about me. Let me hold him from the APC side as well. So I'm but sure he's done that. There have been some APC people that have been pro that have been mentioned in the newspapers and uh, you know and taken to court as well. You they're not they're not pro they're not Saraki. prominent they're not prominent but yeah and then and then there's also Saraki as well for whatever reason for whatever reason he's being prosecuted the point is he's still being prosecuted. Well, so, the truth is, Tola, you were both agreeing that look, this one corruption is a charade. Mm -hmm. Buhari is not serious. Not totally, not serious. totally. It's partially a charade. Not totally a charade. Well, <laughs> Buhari, is not, is, Buhari is chasing his political enemy. If you read 1983-84, we played this same game before. Which political yeah. enemies, uh, Michael? Which political enemies is Buhari chasing? Which ones? Uh, is, is Saraki not a political Saraki enemy? Is not a, of course he's not a political enemy. Saraki's enemy is Balatinubu, not Mohammed no. Buhari. How is no. Buhari Saraki's political enemy? How? Well, well, I don't want to go into too much details, but we do know that Bukola Saraki has always had a presidential ambition. Yes, and, and it doesn't well, appear, does it not yeah. appear to you that Buhari's, Buhari is a one-term president? Buhari may have a presidential ambition or he has a candidate who mm -hmm. he wants to replace him. Mm -hmm. That candidate, obviously, is Buhari's godson. If you've read the history of Nigeria in 2006-2007, you see that that same candidate worked with Nuhuri Badu to play this same game. The EFCC strategically took out people who he thought would be a threat to his own ambition, but unknown to him, as they say in Nigeria, God Passam. So as he was planning his own plans, others were planning their own plans too. So that is the game this that is being This is all speculation. Played. This is speculation. You don't have evidence. This is all speculation, Michael. And look, no. let's, let's just answer this question now before you do more speculating about a particular person who I won't name, but listeners, yeah. if you're discerning... We're just speculating. Exactly. If you're discerning, you know who he's hinting at. Yeah. So let me just ask you this one question. What's the future for the PDP now, given that the party's still split between, was it Sharif and McCarthy? What's the, what's the future that you see for the party now? Well, the, the real question is what um, Modu Sharif is up to. Mm. He, was brought, he was brought in in the first place by Wike and Fireshare. Mm -hmm. I don't know, still don't understand why they did that. Mm -hmm. And there are currently conversations going on, but I know he's met with Obasanjo. And I don't think Obasanjo has any love for the PDP. So 
the suspicion that maybe some other people are using him to scatter the party. At the end of the day, if the PDP doesn't survive, then what will happen next is the current governors will just claim by law if there's a split, the party is allowed to, they're allowed to defect to a new party. Mm-hmm. So if the PDP doesn't sort itself out, then all that will happen is the governors will just change the name to maybe DPP or APC, <laughs> UPP or something. OPP, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> and even some of your guys in APT. Oh, undoubtedly. Un- undoubtedly. Some of my guys, some of my, I don't know who my guys are in APC, but some APC members are, will definitely defect to a new party because if, if we remember, what binds these people isn't some kind of lofty ideology. It's just the the essence of perpetuating themselves in power, I think. Yes. That's, so, that's it, really. So my guess is there'll be maneuverings because if, that's a capital if, if, mm. if Buhari has his way and imposes his godson as the candidate, then there are others who I foresee will rather die than agree to him being the candidate. So mm-hmm. I, I guess many of them would uh, jump ship to, in quotations, OPP. And then uh, there might be no PDP. So every, at the moment, everything is ifs and what ifs. Mm. The real question is whether uh, PDP politicians, and that's one area where I think maybe good luck. He's probably doing so quietly, but I think he needs to step up to the plate and try and use his clout because, like I said... He doesn't say, have any clout. Uh, I think he, he does have a lot of uh, Where? With, moral with, leadership. Because with whom? I was, I was given an example of even the campaign in Edo State. If Golov Jonathan had come to Edo State and mounted that podium to campaign for Ize Yamu, I'm certain that the race would have been over. Because actually, that's how actually, I agree with you. I think Buhari has made him. This government's failures have made Goodluck Jonathan seem that much more competent, which, yes. <laughs> which is amazing, really. No, actually, I can't disagree with you on that one. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think he has a lot of moral authority, and my guess is he's probably working behind the scenes. But I think it won't just be good luck. From the from the stories I'm hearing, there are other influential people, not even within the PDP people. Stories that I'm hearing as well. Stories that I'm hearing, uh, especially uh, did you did you keep an eye on the outcome in, uh, is it Ondo? Ondo, yeah. Did you keep an eye on the outcome there? Yes. Yes. And you're aware so, of who won and who was supporting who won? Yes. Yes. And you're so, aware of the noises certain people were making after this fellow's victory? Yes. Yes. And did you connect some dots? Yes. I connected some dots too. And I would like to talk about the dots that I connected. I connected the dots of a certain... <laughs> a certain gentleman who's been nursing a, polit- uh, a presidential ambition for a long, long time. Who's tried and failed. And another certain gentleman who's in trouble with a particular anti-corruption body in the state. Funding another particular... Funding a particular gentleman in the race, in the Ondo race, who was spurned by another particularly powerful gentleman and this spurned individual emerged victorious. Those are the dots that I connected. Well, this is your calculation. You know, Max is never really my good, my strong point, so I got a lot of problems. <laughs> I, okay, let, let me just break it down. I suspect Atiku and Saraki yeah. funded Akira Darul's campaign, Aketi that is. From, from the things that I've been reading and the dots that I've been connecting, I suspect those are the people behind his victory because I don't see how Akeri Daru had the funds 
to win that primary. And I don't think it was any idea about rejecting Godfatherism or whatever have you. Hell no. This is cold, hard cash situation. And I think I get to just put my money on the table. Well, well, obviously money plays a role. And obviously there's the personalities as well involved. So I, 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 I don't know much about happening from, the, from behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. I can't really challenge your ideology. But my suspicion is he may be right. But if, if Tinubu himself is not really on good terms with Abuja, then it's yes. also possible that Abuja too had a hand. Yes, yes. In, yes. In who won. And if right. that's correct, then the real question is what role is Tinubu going to play in 2019? Because for all the things I, I, I don't like about him, the one thing I know is he's a, he's a very good strategist mm -hmm. and he has the ego of a lion. So if you, if you wound him, he'll step back but he'll, he'll get you back at your weakest point. Mm. So the question is, what role is he going to play? That's in... if the APC survives to 2019. Yes. So there's there's many ifs, ifs in the air, but I know that there's many conversations because contrary to the noises people are making in public, uh, declaring their love for Buhari, many people, even amongst the northern elite, are sitting down and saying, look, as things stand, this is an unmitigated disaster. Just like 1984, so my guess is something is so, some they they will sort something out. But I don't know what it will be, but something will have to be sorted out. Hmm. We'll watch this space, Michael. And um, you know, it's interesting discussing politics with you. I do enjoy it when we're not discussing good luck, Jonathan. That is because it's so frustrating to me that you won't yield. <laughs> you won't yield an inch when it comes to that fellow. But it's all right. We'll just agree to disagree and leave it there permanently. Yeah. Um, yeah, so any last words? We are, I mean, our general overall conduct during the last elections, what we can take away from that and what we can ensure that we, we have in mind next time. Well, I just think, like most people, we should have our own vision and ideology of what we want Nigeria to be. Mm. And we should be ruthless about sticking to those ideologies. Mm. So it doesn't matter which politician comes through. If it doesn't meet the standard, we should not be afraid to say this person doesn't meet the standard. Mm. For me personally, I want a united Nigeria. I want a federal Nigeria. I want a free market Nigeria. And I want a Nigeria where human rights and democracy thrive. That is my vision. And I'll continue to do my best in my own small little way to work to ensure that Nigeria becomes the Nigeria of my dreams. Excellent. I can't disagree with any of that, but I will just drop in there that whereby a lot of young people nurse political ambitions and a lot of young people are keen to get involved. You find yourself in a situation whereby uh, neither candidate is particular, particularly appealing. You hold your nose and you vote for one. And I think maybe that's what happened last time. I don't know, but I was all in. And I thought things definitely would have been better than they are right now. So that's what I have to say about that. In the tradition of this show, you were to tell me a Nigerian song that you would like to nominate for your song of the week. And you don't strike me as somebody who listens to Nigerian songs, so I might be wrong. Do you have one? Well, that's a very, very important question. I, I listen to Nigerian music, but I tend to listen to more sort of old school That's fine. Nigerian type music. That's fine. One of one. the musicians I, I quite like, me, me and Gulag, Jonathan have the same taste because we oh both like uh, mm. Sonia so, so Kosu. 
So yeah, I was I was listening. I was going through a session with my friend yesterday, just reminiscing again on old school Nigerian music, and he played one that I really really liked. I heard it as a kid, but it was nice to be reminded of it again yesterday. And it's Majek for Shek, send down the rain. Oh, so yes. <laughs> we need we need some cooling off in the political space, and we need some people to realize why they were put in place. But all that said. Thank you so very much for your time, Michael. As usual, it was enlightening, and it was, you know, it was a good exchange. I look forward to many more. Thank you, thank you, Tana. It was thank a pleasure you. being on your show. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 